Most MSPs use at least one public cloud to deliver their managed services. Increased security, flexibility, and scalability are all features driving more MSPs into the public cloud. But dealing with public cloud vendors is not without risk. Public cloud agreements can contain many provisions leaving MSPs holding most of the risk. How can you protect yourself against these one-sided public cloud agreements? We'll discuss that question on today's program. You're entering the MSP Zone, a podcast for the managed services community, covering news, analysis, and interviews from around the globe. Elevate your MSP game by staying in the MSP Zone. And now, your host, Charles Weaver. And good day, everyone. You're back in the MSP zone, and we have another uh, guest uh, who is no stranger to the program joining us today and offering up his uh, incredible, vast wisdom on all things managed services and law-related, talking about none other than Rob Scott. Rob, welcome back to the program. Good to be with you, Charlie. Thank you. All right. This this is going to take some time, but I think we'll, we'll... We'll, we'll do a good job and get as much detail into this uh, massive concept, uh, which is not just public cloud, but how do MSPs using public cloud vendors protect themselves? And then how, how does that extend to the agreements that MSPs themselves have with their clients? And there's a lot of issues, as, as you well know. So why don't we start with the premise of what do MSPs need to know about public cloud vendors and the agreements that they're giving to MSPs to sign? Well, I I think it's important to understand that the public cloud vendors are essentially providing an end service to your customers and you're signing agreements with the cloud provider and your customer. And if you take a careful look at what the cloud provider is agreeing to from a risk balancing perspective, Uh, they're really not taking on any uh, significant responsibility for making sure that your client's successful in being hosted in that environment. And and if something goes wrong, if there's a security incident, if there's negligence, if there's a compromise, if there's intentional bad acts, that uh, you may find yourself uh, being held legally responsible uh, by your customer for things that were not your fault, but in fact were um, failures of the cloud service provider. So let's give the audience a couple of examples. Uh, You know, people hear, you know, public cloud vendor, they think, okay, who is that? Is that, is that Google? Certainly the common one for MSPs might be Microsoft Azure. Uh, Office 365, would those be common examples in your opinion? Yeah, I think when it comes to managed services, I, I, I think uh, the, the most common um, resold public cloud is the Microsoft Azure platform and many MSPs offer, as you say, uh, desktop solutions through uh, the 365 family of products and then they'll use the Azure platform for the server side of the environment. 
Yeah. So, so 10, so just so people understand 10, not more than 10, 15 years ago, MSPs would have had a small, small business exchange server, um, like a physical server in a, in a client office or in a colo, they would have had the software purchased most likely through Microsoft. And then the MSP was responsible for securing that exchange server, the, the outlook, the data flowing through it, right? Buying additional security software. Now they're just putting it into Microsoft's Azure cloud. And what you're saying is the MSP is held responsible if Azure goes down, but Azure is not necessarily coming up and saying, hey, we Microsoft were at fault. Is that yeah, the first I mean, issue? Yeah, so, so Microsoft, if your client is down, and you're and 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 claims a credit against you or um, has a claim against you, uh, Microsoft's agreement is not going to answer for that, even if it's Microsoft's fault. Because Microsoft's agreement is going to ex expressly exclude the ability to recover for you know business downtime, uh, business interruption, etc. So. You know, when I say that you will be responsible, what I mean first and foremost is the customer's expectation in almost all cases is the MSP is responsible for ensuring that the network is up and running. And if a customer has an availability problem, for example, that has a business impact, it's the MSP's phone that's going to be ringing off the hook. Uh, not necessarily uh, Microsoft's. And together with that expectation raises the question of how viable is that customer's expectation in light of the terms of the contract? So and if you... Yeah, continue with that. I was going to say, if you haven't carefully articulated that line between the parts you deliver and the parts that are third-party delivered, and specifically disclaim any responsibility for any third party provided solutions, then that perception that the customer has that it's the MSP's responsibility uh, could uh, leave the MSP legally exposed if that customer were to pursue a claim. So, so I, I want to refer everyone who, who did not listen to our, um, there's a couple episodes ago, um, titled RMM Legal Agreements, What MSPs Need to Know. If you haven't heard that episode with Rob, I really encourage you to, to listen to it because it, it, it takes this concept of the MSPs being in the middle of third-party vendors on one side, customers on the other, and the MSP in the middle having to deal with both groups as best they can. And this is really an extension, as I see it, correct me if I'm wrong, Rob, of the vendor, the cloud vendor saying, look, here's a service we know you can't do without the service, but hey, good luck if, if something goes bad, you're not gonna get anything from us. What what can the MSP do, should the MSP do? Uh, and is, I'm, I'm sensing there's gonna be a contractual uh, piece of advice here from you. You know, sure, I mean, I think the most important thing to do is for the for the customer, for the MSP to explain to the customer which parts of the service delivery it owns and, and can account and be accountable for, and which parts of the um, 
service delivery, are they bundling for the client's convenience? You know, if the MSP wasn't in the middle of the relationship between the client and Microsoft, the client would have an agreement with Microsoft, right? And so just because the MSP is, you know, facilitating third-party service delivery doesn't mean that the MSP should be responsible under the contract for the correct delivery of all those things. Because in my mind, philosophically, the managed service provider is not the insurance company or the surety bond that all of the tools in the client's environment will perform. So, Rob, do you, do you think that there is a misconception amongst end users um, that they, they don't necessarily understand the line between the MSP and its inherent services and the vendors the MSP brings to the service table? Absolutely, positively. Undeniable, um, in and, your opinion. Yeah, undeniable. Okay. I mean, it, it, it's an absolute uh, issue. Uh, and, and conceptually, they don't agree with me. Conceptually, their thing is, you put it together, this is your solution, and if it fails, you have to stand behind it. We're paying you. If, if a vendor is not the right vendor, we're paying you to make sure that we get the right one. And if it doesn't work, we're going to hold you accountable. So, okay, so I see a, I see a sales, marketing, education uh, huge opportunity, right? I don't know if you look at it, but I think a huge opportunity to under, to articulate to customers how MSPs work and the difference between Microsoft Azure or, or AWS or Google Cloud or what are the whatever public cloud we're talking about and the line between the vendor, the cloud vendor and the MSP. And you're saying there's a there's just a golden opportunity to to rectify that situation. 100%. So, all right, but at some point, all right, let's 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 assume that we start educating customers. At some point, they're going to get to a, all right, let's see the agreement. What advice yeah. would you give to the to an MSP going to market with several public cloud vendors behind them? What should they do? Well, you know, I think it's important in all uh, MSP contracts to have a, a provision in your agreement with your customer that says, the customer understands and acknowledges that the uh, solution uh, is uh, many of the solutions are provided uh, by third parties, and that um, specifically disclaim responsibility for the failures of any third-party provided hardware or uh, software. And in uh, and, and, and that broad of a, of a provision covers the MSP not only for public cloud, uh, but it also covers the MSP for RMM and any other third-party solutions, backup, uh, et cetera, virus, you know, security software. So it, it really is a broad kind of language. As, as pertains to um, the rest of what needs to be done, it has to focus on the risk balancing provisions. You know, we need to make sure that we're not uh, agreeing to indemnify the, the, the customer. If there's an incident that's caused by 
a third-party provider. So it sounds like, Rob, reading between the lines, that you you are practically speaking advocating for a, a, a scenario where the public cloud vendor is just not going to negotiate. I mean, a, an average-sized MSP is not going to have any luck going back to Microsoft or any other vendor. I, I hate to pick on Microsoft, but they're, they're, are, are they going to be able to persuade them and say, I, I don't want your agreement to say this? Is that, is that true? I think for the vast majority of the members, uh, that is true. The exception would be um, members with strategic partnerships with Microsoft and or members with significant either uh, service provider licensing agreement spend or cloud service provider spend. You know, if you're you know, of a substantial size, uh, you will have more bargaining power and it is more common in those types of deals to see negotiated contracts. But for the vast majority of the managed service providers, they should be expected to uh, sign up on you know standard you know web available terms and conditions. And once they study those, they'll see that Microsoft is you know kind of offering the service, um, but not really going to stand behind from a legal perspective things that happen with your customers um, deployment then then rob it seems to me that the msps the the 99% of the msps who don't have leverage with a with a vendor and are are still faced with the re- reality of i still need that vendor to do what i do then the only the only remaining issue or 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 solution is the client MSP agreement. Well, and yes and no, not the only solution, but the primary solution, yes. The other solution is making sure that you have appropriate professional liability errors and omissions insurance. Because if that claim comes from the customer, but it's related to Microsoft, in this example, we're talking about Azure, but it could be any of the other providers. Uh, that insurance will provide you with a defense and the ability to make the argument that no, this wasn't my fault. You know, this is a this will be a factual dispute. What caused the injury? Was it something the MSP did, or was it something Microsoft did? That would be very expensive for an MSP without the benefit of insurance defense counsel. To, to actually get their, you know, argument heard. So, so you're articulating a difference between what's in the agreement and the actual enforcement or the or the adjudication of that agreement, where the client says, "Well, I, I don't distinguish between MSP and Microsoft. I'm just you, you, the MSP, are the first one and the only one I know. So I'm going after you." And you're saying the insurance is what helps the MSP defend against that, right? And the, and the defense would be the forensic that show the incident occurred, you know, outside the firewall of the MSP and due to no failures in configurations or other things that could have led to an exposure. And that from a forensic investigation perspective, the evidence points to the uh, uh, cause being with, in this example, the public cloud provider. 
But you're not suggesting that the MSP doesn't have an agreement that says, I am going to distinguish between me, the MSP, and all these other vendors, which I'm going to list here. And if anything happens because of those vendors, we are we are we may we may help you fix it, but it's not going to be something we're going to be liable for, or some phraseology like that. It's similar to that, Charlie. Um, uh, uh, in concept, that's the right direction, but we are we we do recommend that MSPs avoid getting trapped in the middle between the public cloud provider and the customer, and. In order to accomplish that, there's a number of components, including what you've just described. And I would describe it a little bit differently, but in essence, what we're trying to do is not necessarily list every vendor because, you know, we bring in tools and switching in and out, and we don't want to change the necessarily agreement all the time. But we need to make sure that in the contract, the customer understands that the role of the MSP is to manage and facilitate the uh, use of multiple vendors in an IT environment. So you know, if, you th if you think about it, the MSP is really bringing these technologies to the customer and bundling to get them together as a convenience for the customer. If the MSP wasn't there, uh, the customer would still have all the same risks that they have today. So the MSP contract can't be construed, should not be construed as a way for end user customers to get better terms and conditions on, in this example, public cloud, because the MSP's contract doesn't uh, limit its exposure to the extent that Microsoft has done with its portion. Sure. So. I'd like so let's let's accept everything at, at face value, which is MSPs may not have a lot of leverage with the public cloud agreements. So maybe don't hold your hopes uh, for for getting somewhere on that front. But you do have leverage with your MSP client agreements. You do have leverage and and choice to get insurance or not to get insurance. But also all of this is there's an output of this in, in a real way, which is pricing, right? And I, I know you probably have some thoughts on this and I'd like to, to hear them. What should MSPs do vis-a-vis -vis pricing their managed services offerings and how does a cloud, a public cloud vendor influence, if at all, that 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 pricing model that they take to market? Well, you know, I, I think that most of the MSPs that are being successful in offering cloud solutions are offering them on a, on a per user model. And they, they're offering a managed service that includes a bundle of um, software licenses together with services that create a cloud solution that's priced on a per user per month or per user per year model. Uh, the challenge is that when it comes to certain aspects of uh, reselling cloud, uh, some of the prices are not fixed monthly prices for what is being purchased from uh, the cloud provider. So, for example, in Azure, you know, it's a utility-based, consumption-based um, type pricing model, and it doesn't necessarily fit squarely within 
the types of SKUs that MSPs have traditionally quoted because, you know, typically the MSP is going to charge a, a monthly fee. Its costs are relatively static um, and they can therefore pass to the customer uh, a bill that adequately reflects the costs associated with those tools. So when you have when you have very varying prices of tools, you can wind up with a situation where your margin is getting eroded because your costs are going up, and but you're on a fixed price with your customer. Sure, I I, I think I'm, there's probably a lot of people whose heads are exploding right now and saying, "Wow, am I really exposed to to uh, you know bad margins or even going under you know underwater?" If if something happened, so I know you're not you're not a stranger to the uh, the concept of risk based pricing or SLA based pricing, uh, been called a couple of different things. I, I see this as a direct manifestation of of risk based pricing in action. How does an MSP who is dealing with a utility purchase of a public cloud uh, service translate that safely into a per user per device whatever pricing model? Uh, how would they Bake that into an agreement. Uh, do you have any guidance there? Yeah. So what we what we what we typically are doing is we're banding the, some of the monthly prices to limit the consumption to a certain amount. So if it's measured in gigs, uh, you, you know you put a limit of the gigs. If it's uh, you know if there's other metrics that whatever the metrics are that are going to drive the price you include in your monthly fee only up to a certain quantity of that metric so that you know that if a client exceeds that amount, then they go into the next pricing tier. And then we write language into the contract that says the customer authorizes us to you know, charge the additional fee uh, when they move beyond those tiers. So it's, a, it's essentially a, a, a prior consent to um, allow the customer to upgrade to the next level of a utility or bandwidth or whatever the metric would be. But in, and so that's how we've been attacking it uh, in the contracts. Okay, so I'm, I'm an MSP. I use, let's keep with Azure. I use Azure and I have uh, not only um, now Microsoft 365, but also maybe some public you know data storage through Azure. So that's my agreement with the vendor. Then I have a customer agreement. And in that customer agreement, you're going to write up for me language that says, if you're in tranche A or, or you're, you're in group A, you have up to this much bandwidth. But if if your users start using more than this amount of bandwidth, let's say storage, um, then then automatically that user, that user group is going to be elevated into a higher pricing level. Did, did I get that right? Yeah. Okay. That way, you, that way, your agreement where you're paying based on load aligns with your agreement with your customers where they have to pay based on workload. Where it, whereas if you just went with a, a monthly price only, then you can wind up with that margin erosion that we described. So I'm looking back at the title of this program, Negotiating Public Cloud Agreements, and really it's a misnomer because 
what I'm hearing from you is you're not going to have any luck negotiating, but there are ways that you can live with public cloud agreements that that are profitable for you as the MSP and protect you and your clients. And maybe that's a more accurate vision of, of what you're presenting. Well, I would say this, it largely depends on the size of the organization. Sure. You know, there are, there are managed services firms, my clients that are in the fortune 500, you know, those firms definitely have the leverage to negotiate some of the things that we're recommending everybody else fix on the customer side, those large organizations that are in managed services will be able to negotiate the custom amendments to the Azure terms if they're spending you know, significant dollars. You know, the larger enterprises will have the bargaining power to negotiate custom terms. The, the, the MSPs that are smaller SMB size are going to not be able to negotiate. And, and therefore your claim about mis your point about a bit of a misnomer, I think is, is true. I don't want to send the signal that if you're a, a large organization uh, or, you know, where you've been accustomed to uh, negotiating with Microsoft special provisions, uh, I don't want to send the signal that nobody could ever negotiate you know, public cloud deals with Microsoft, because that is definitely not true. And it's something that we do for our large clients all the time. Yeah. But for, for, for an MSP uh, that's going to be buying, you know, in Microsoft's numbers, you know, not a significant, you know, percentage of revenue for them, uh, the ability to negotiate, I, I agree with you, should be, you should assume that you're not going to be able to negotiate. So, so, and, and the advice implicitly there is, correct me if I'm wrong, don't, don't try or, or should, should a small average size MSP even approach them and say, hey, I would like to have this standardized language in our agreement. Is that? Yeah, I, I don't want to discourage anybody from trying. Um, certainly, you know, the worst case scenario is someone says no, right? But at the same time, these level setting expectations you know, Microsoft's perspective on particularly public cloud is this is a multi-tenant public solution. We're not going to enter into, you know, specific contracts with individuals. Yeah, it's intended to be, uh, you know, offered on a single set of terms and conditions. And so we don't negotiate. And I think there's some merit to that. I, I agree. But I, but I also think that the MSP should not be the ones indemnifying everybody except for themselves when, the, when as you put it earlier, the, the clients need to, uh, to learn and be better informed about what it is the MSPs are doing and how they are bringing these multi-tenant public cloud um, solutions to the table, right? And I, I, I totally agree. And the, the way to bring it to a head is this. Uh, you tell the client, you sign up with Azure. Aha. Uh -huh. I mean, we'll put it under your tenant. And instead of charging them for the licensing fees and passing it through, you don't charge them for those licensing fees. And you take whatever profit you were going to have in the deal and add it to your service fee. Something tells me Microsoft and the other vendors don't want that. Well, 
Because of support and other and cost of acquisition costs, which are exactly yeah exactly. But at the same time, if what you need me for is to make introductions to customers and to provide you know support, don't try to make me the insurance company too. Yeah, look, uh, so I want to I, I want to end on a positive note, which is if if you are like most MSPs on planet Earth, and you're dealing with Microsoft, Azure, Google, IBM, and, and, and many of the other public cloud uh, solutions, I, I, I'd like you to take what Rob said as a, as a huge, not glimmer, but a huge spotlight of hope, which is I, th- I think doing these things, and we'll articulate those bullet points um, you know, in the, in, the, uh, in the podcast notes here, and I encourage you to call Rob and, and his team and, and have them review your, your agreements because there's a lot of protection that you can build into your agreements with your clients that has nothing to do you know, with you not being able to negotiate with a, with a big public cloud vendor. And I, I, think that's, I, I think it's hopeful, Rob. I mean. I, I do too. I, I think, and I think the customers will understand it. Yeah, I uh, let's let's uh, let's start today. So if you're if you're in that situation, start having these conversations. Uh, again, if you haven't had your agreements professionally reviewed, uh, Scott and Scott LLP.com, is that that your web web address? That's correct. Go give them a go give them a call and, and talk to them and and you know I think first no matter what you do, start the conversation with your clients and prospects and start the educational, um, you know dialogue because i think without that the agreements aren't going to come and and we're not going to really get any change but um this is a solvable solvable issue i i I remain convinced of that well rob thanks again for coming on the program we'll see you next time uh always appreciate your your voice and your wisdom thanks charles always a pleasure to be with you and thank you very much and that's it folks another msp zone podcast Uh, leave us your comments and uh, we'll see you next time on the msp zone Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode, please give us a like. Make sure you are subscribed to the podcast so you will get notified when future episodes are released. We will see you next time in the MSP Zone.